Welcome, everyone. Thank you so very much for joining me here again today for another episode of Talking Cloud. Now, you know, this is where we talk about cloud, cloud computing, all things cloud, SaaS, PaaS, FAS, distribution, the markets, the challenges, the concerns. I mean, there are so many great, rich things to be able to talk about when we say Talking Cloud. It's why I picked the name. I absolutely love it. And you also know I am not the expert. I'm just the Gilligan, but I find the professors. I get the experts on the program and they help me and help you better understand the cloud. And today I'm super excited because we've got a teacher uh, for all of us vendors. Uh, I think it's someone that's really going to be able to provide some keen insights for how we need to get to the market more effectively because this guy's been in the market, in the channel as a customer and as a distributor and a partner and he understands the gap between the vendors and the end users and I'm excited to have Sam Murdoch on the program today. Sam, thank you so very much for joining me. Thank you very much. Lovely uh, welcome, that was. Thanks. Actually, it wasn't because I was thinking I also had to point out that, you know, you're the, the, the co-owner, founder of <laughs> E92, right? Yeah, husband, father of a dog, everything. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, it's nice to know you're human, Sam. But, you know, I, I think it's important to mention that, uh, you know, you've been in the biz a long time. Uh, and, and now you're just knee deep in cloud. And yep. well, why don't you take a, a few minutes, please, and tell our audience a little bit about your background and what you're doing now and, and where you're focused? Yeah, of course. So uh, I, I came straight out of uh, school, secondary school, which is uh, when you're 16 in the UK. Um, didn't really know what to do. So I, I went and did a, a, a night course in accountancy, joined an American company called Burn Microproducts, which was um, an IT distributor uh, over here. Um, my finance director at the time told me I wasn't very good at accounting, so said I should go into sales, which I did. Um, and then what I did, I joined a company called E92 Plus, the one that I'm now again part of the group, um, and embarked on a career in IT security sales, you know, starting from the uh, cold calling 100 people a day through to vendor management, through to being an external. Um, been across the channel, a couple of organizations, worked for Veronis in there as well for a year. Uh, and in 2016, decided to start my own uh, distributor for a few reasons. We can go over them if you like, um, but but mainly just to try and do it my own way and uh, hopefully uh, get it right. Um, three or four years ago, we decided to just go purely with cloud and predominantly public cloud. 
for a couple of reasons. One, because that seems to be where the market is going. So <laughs> we should probably follow the market. <laughs> no um, doubt. I always say that's, that's definitely the way the Petri dish is tilting, man. And anything that's in it is going that way, right? I mean, we're all amoebas yeah. in this big Petri dish. And I, I totally agree. I mean, that's pretty insightful. Three or four years ago, uh, diving in. Yeah, well, we we, um, <clears throat> we started the company with a vendor called Gardicle, um, which was a, uh, a, a product for micro-segmentation, deception, um, honeypots within private data centers. Uh, so once we got into those projects and started hearing about containers and seeing whales on people's laptops, uh, we understood that containers were coming. So we, we went and grabbed Aqua, um, Aqua Security from Tel Aviv, brought those guys to the UK, and, uh, you know, once you get into the container world, you realize that really no one's doing that on prem and they're doing it within the cloud. So that forced us. Yeah, it kind of forced us towards the public cloud and obviously making ourselves acquainted with it a lot quicker than most. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, I'm, I'm too young to have uh, ever been uh, within the, the, the time frame to sell servers and an on-premise kit. And I unfortunately just missed out on when VMware was booming. So I thought, right, third time's a charm. And, uh, you know, this one's probably the biggest um, since, you know, on-premise and, and selling tin, as they say. Unequivocally, so, yes. A bigger. It's, it's, it's bigger. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's so much bigger. And, you know, the other thing that I hope buoys your enthusiasm for the future, I've got it in my slide uh, that I just presented. You know, we always hear about the ferocious growth in the industry and in particular in cloud, compound annual growth of 20, 25, 30% in various segments, containers exploding, all this other stuff. The, the slide I put up for perspective in the first, I, if you've ever read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you know there's a photograph of a woman, and it's an old woman or a young woman, and it's actually both, right? It depends on yeah. the perspective that you see. And then I put up the statistic that in 2018, the spend on cloud was less than 5% of the total IT spend globally. So what's the key message there? You know, I love the author spun it this way. He said, get off your high horse on this amazing growth and focus on unshackling the customers. Focus on teaching them it is a safe and secure environment if you use it safely and securely. And that's what I think you guys are in the business of doing, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the easiest way to ever kind of, you know, not to compare apples and oranges, but, you know, VMware are the kings of virtualization. You look at 2019, their revenues were $9 billion. Yeah. Um, You look at Amazon, arguably the kings or, or the crown princes with uh, Microsoft, <laughs> but, you know, th- they're looking at $25 billion revenue in 2018, and yep. they haven't released their full year's numbers yet. But right, I right. imagine it's going to be bigger than for, uh, $40 billion. So, yeah, as, as I say, I'm, I'm gutted that I kind of missed out on when VMware really came, came to the fore, but... You know, this market is is just growing so much quicker to the point where you know they're three four times bigger than the largest virtualization vendor and you know the the security risks haven't got any simpler and they've actually become bigger because obviously there's more infrastructure and that infrastructure is not understood yet yeah uh, no, which you're, is you know I don't mean to interrupt but one of the things that yeah, I was just out talking about is 
you know, when virtualization hit the market and we all were thrilled because we no longer were sitting at 8 to 12% utilization on our appliances, right, and our servers, we were finally fully using them again. But new problems were introduced, things like vMotion, right, yep. the inter-VM communication, some of the things we didn't have the appropriate tools to be able to actually effectively and securely use those environments, right? Well, yep. now I explain to people, you thought that was bad. You know, sprawl and, and, and the fact that I now don't have to have a card key to get into your data center or even into one of your buildings somewhere. I can be anywhere, anywhere. And if I have the right access credentials, I'm in. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think to that point, I wasn't a network engineer back in the days of uh, on-premise uh, networks, but you know, applications normally generate traffic. And uh, as you say, normally most companies are running few applications per server, if that, um, generating certain volumes of traffic. So maybe finding a hacker was probably easier when you virtualize and you virtualize to, to increase the amount of applications that you can run. It creates more uh, traffic. And that's why we, you know, we brought uh, Gardicore to the UK to hopefully try and micro-segment that traffic and hopefully make it easier to find the needle in the haystack. <laughs> you get to now where people are releasing code you know, 10, 15, 20 times a day mm. uh, onto multiple different applications. You know, the right. volume of traffic is just, you need some help, essentially. Yep. yep. I, I'm curious to hear from you. I, I suspect getting in mm. as early as you did, focused on just cloud, you really were out seeking key partners and key technologies, key vendors that were offering the capabilities you knew your customers needed. Let's talk a little bit about the market and the offerings because, Sam, it seems like it's unbelievably fluid right now, really changing yep. a lot. It's got to be difficult for customers to accurately assess which way to go. And yep. I suspect they turn to guys like you for help, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two answers to that. So one, obviously, customers are pushing the envelope a lot more than they ever have because you can try out an application or an idea and bring it to market very quickly and find out very quickly whether the market likes it or not, and then essentially do away with that infrastructure in the click of a button. Whereas before, you know, you want to try out something that maybe is a new application. You need to go through a whole use case and business uh, sign off internally to buy the servers, the software, the middleware, the application and, and, and et cetera. So, you know, that means that customers are moving at a faster pace, which is why they're obviously pushing towards serverless as quickly as possible. The part that all of those customers are maybe forgetting sometimes is the developers building the applications are not paid to build secure applications. Mm -hmm. They're paid to build applications. To get it done. Yeah, of course. Right. And, and that's what they're employed to do, right? They're rock stars. In the UK, we have a betting company called Paddy Power. And on their TV advert, you'll see they, 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 you know, they brag about how good their developers are. And that's true. <laughs> it's a true story. Yeah. But, you know, the issue is, is that the faster you move forward and it, it may generate tremendous revenues, you know, there's been a cyber skill shortage for God, 10 years, 15 years. It always has been. And it's increasing. Um, yeah, of course. Yep. It's only going to increase quicker as well because there's more infrastructure being deployed by less, well, more people, but with less knowledge. Yep. You know, 
just because you've you've done some some courses online with you know certain companies or whatever, and they've taught you how to deploy infrastructure on a public cloud, doesn't mean you actually know the ramifications business wise or you know compliance wise. So right, depth of knowledge is arguably shallower today because you don't have to understand it as deeply in order to be able to use technology. You mentioned something earlier, and I, I'm reminded of a, a mantra that's very common in the startup world that I'm sure you're very familiar with, and it's fail fast, right? Correct. And, and so what you've described is now we have an infrastructure that supports the ability to fail fast, unlike ever before. You think that's accurate? Oh, 100%. And it kind of ties in with the second point, right? So if you imagine end customers are like that, Vendors are exactly the same right now. You know, you can have a a, a couple of guys sitting in an, uh, in England, it would be a pub, um, saying, you know, I kind of like working at this vendor, but I have an idea. Uh, six months later, they've built something in, uh, you know, in, in pre-production. They've gone to see a VC. The VC's bought it or given them some uh, seed fund. Right. And all of a sudden, and a vendor appears. And then another one in that space appears and another one. And then, you know, it... it the, the the vendors at the minute are exploding or they were it's, it's, it's quite down a little bit but i'm sure rsa was just as busy but again people know that it's not as complicated now to build a company if you're relying on infrastructure or software because it's been made so much easier by either public cloud companies or, or software development companies there's this huge influx of infrastructure on the customer side and then there's this huge influx of solutions or vendors from from the selling side and you know the vendors are trying to uh, get through those customers you know who's actually using the cloud who's actually a, a, a customer that has money to spend right now and the, the customers are looking at the vendors and thinking there's 15 different companies here all called cloud something yeah um which one of you guys is actually going to help me with this issue? And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of noise at the minute from, from both sides and, and, uh, and, and, and sometimes the people in between those as well. So are you and is your organization, do you take that bag of flour and put it through a colander and, and, and <clears throat> determine where the big rocks are or, or what's missing? I mean, is that a role you provide for your yeah. customers? Y- yeah. So essentially, um, you know, we'll, I mean, I suspect, I guess the reason I ask Sam is I I, I imagine if customers are confused and they make pipe or canned pickles, right? Their job is not technology. Yours is if there's confusion with you. I mean, the benefit is at least you can go and actually find out what's the truth, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Essentially, our, our job role in the market is to look through all of the customers that we already have with our, our partners and reseller partners, um, make sure that we're listening to what that what their issues are. Um, and of course, we, we, we have our uh, feelers out in both Tel Aviv, in California, and in some other countries where we've got to try and get that noise from a, a huge noise down to as few as possible. Essentially, you know what the VCs are trying to do, right? And try and choose the choose the vendors that are actually providing a solution to an issue. And not saying that we've never, ever done this, but um, a lot of vendors can get a long way on slideware or or, um, a feature that maybe it will never be used, but it sounds so good. You just got to see them. 
Um, and <laughs> I'm, la- you know, I'm laughing, you know, right? They surely, surely they have T-shirts to support the slideware. Yeah, of course, of course. So, you know, our, our job for the UK market and 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 predominantly for our, our reseller partners and and their customers is to make sure that. If we're going to sit in a room and we're going to bring a vendor into that room, that they've been through a certain amount of due diligence, uh, both technically, commercially, is the VC, you know, do they want to sell them in a, in two months' time or do they want to make something out of the company? As you can see with, you know, companies being acquired by, by you know, large companies like Broadcom, you know, it, it, it's not always a good thing to, to be a, a selling vendor. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, our, our job is essentially to, to make sure that, any products that we bring to the UK market had been through quite a stringent um, process. And, and also, we brought some products to the market where we've looked at them and we thought, oh, my God, this is just fantastic. And then you go and see customers are like, we've never heard of this issue. So it yeah. has a lot of real pizzazz and is sexy, but it, it's a, a solution to a problem no one has. Yeah, or a solution that, that, to a problem that no one thinks they have, but, you know, their board's full up with stuff to do and they're going to concentrate on that right now. So, right. you know, when, when we brought container security to the market, that was in 2017, probably two years too early at least. You know, containers seem to be really coming into production now. So now would be a good time to be, be trying to sell uh, container security. There's, um, no, there's no question. Timing is a critical component for any great idea. But I would say you're diving in 24 months early. Frankly, given the angle of the face of this mountain in terms of growth, I think you guys are in a terrific spot. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't say that any uh, any of our excursions into you know cutting-edge technologies or products have ever done us bad because normally when it comes around to you know containers being in vogue and the security of them we already have that kind of knowledge in the locker um and as i say you know we we were working with guardicore um and then all of a sudden containers come up you know and it's just around that engagement with the customers where you think oh actually maybe this is the issue and that's that that's you know a legacy issue really so it's fast yeah it's fast moving. That's a, you know what yeah. I mentioned earlier. It's it's remarkable. You know, just talking about containers. Really, they've only taken off in the last three or four years. But the percentage that are using containers is yeah. remarkable. And that's what I mean by that. That north face of the mountain is just so steep because the adoption yeah. is just unparalleled. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? So accessible, costs almost nothing. I mean, really costs nothing until you start to. Uh, use it and you can fail fast so you can go out and test these ideas Uh, so Mm. so i'm curious you know one of the things that seems in the marketplace is we talked earlier about you know the on-prem world and vmware kind of taking off and this being the next step you know there's a long tail for most enterprise uh, certainly in the u.s with On premise, and I'm talking about it, not the the company that started three years ago and spun everything up in the cloud, or like you know, cl- like Dome Nine did, you know, Zohar uh, back in 2011 or whenever it was that I mean, never had a data center. But when you look at Fortune 500, they're all data center oriented, and they're at different stages of moving. And I guess my question has to do with. How are you finding the acceptance and adoption and and willingness to move to the cloud amongst your customers? How are the vendors doing in terms of providing solutions that are meeting the needs 
And I'm curious, and I know I'm stacking yeah. on some questions here. I'm curious to hear, because I tell my, my audiences without specifying any vendor, it's so fast moving, you really need to take a step back and select yeah. your partners, your vendors that are really committed to the cloud in a manner that is consistent with how you view the cloud. So I'd just love to yeah. hear your thoughts. I, I would say that, that there's an issue and it, it, it's, it's outside of uh, technology as well, right? So if we take food, for example, you know, someone someone does a gourmet burger and uh, all of a sudden everyone wants to sell burgers with maybe some bacon and, and truffle on them for like 20 bucks. Um, and then everywhere wants to sell it for 20 bucks. And really, it's just a burger. Um, I kind of see it's a weird analogy, I know, but I love um, it. I love it. When you, when you bring it back to technology, right? So in in the UK, we probably have ninety percent of the people that work in IT are from an on-prem background, still to this day. Yep. Um, and maybe thirty thirty percent of of the hundred or that of that ninety is probably uh, you know ninja grade of virtualization, whichever virtualization vendor that is. Yep. And, and then I would say probably 5% of the remaining 10% is probably apt at cloud. And, and this is mostly because of the vendors, um, apologies to, to pick on them, but um, because normally technologies are at the, at the cutting edge, everything around those technologies you normally can charge more for, right? So if you're a cloud consultant, you're going to charge more a day than a Linux consultant yep. or a VMware consultant because VMware is, is, is or maybe seen as, oh, yeah, that, that everyone can do VMware. Yeah, or uh, firewall policies. Yeah, correct. And, and I think Amazon actually do a really good job of this. You know, they had their um, programs where you can take people like veterans and people where they might not know what they want to do as a career and, and they can sign up and, and you know, get some uh, certifications with AWS. Uh, but, but it needs to be similar for vendors, you know, even large vendors like Checkpoint and Palo and, and, and Fortinet where – they want their customers to be at breakneck speed because that's where the good money is. You know, it's not commoditized market, but they're forgetting that there's a whole load of people within either vendors, distributors, resellers, and end users that have huge amounts and tremendous amount of knowledge in security. It doesn't matter whether it's on-premise, cloud, or hybrid, or data center security. They have the fundamentals of security. And I think that some of these products are purposely not maybe not purposely but they certainly come across that way that you need to be this new breed of person to understand the cloud hmm. and only only these new breeds of people that skateboard in the office and bring sausage dogs to the office and i have a sausage dog but i don't skateboard in the office um but but you know you have to be a certain style of person and and you know if you've worked in the business for 20 years don't worry about that 20 years experience you're gonna have to learn the whole thing again and it's kind of alienating a huge pool of people and a huge pool of knowledge. Whereas if the vendors, and uh, this isn't on purpose, uh, but if the vendors were to take a look at you know platforms like Dome 9, platforms like um, Contrast Security, platforms where it's not just about trying to make cloud accessible for cloud people, it's about trying to use all of that 20 years, 30 years of knowledge that people have and converting that into cloud. So it could even be as simple as explaining that an EC2 instance is just a VM. And people literally, you know, I have I have them and they're like, what the hell is an EC2? And you think, 
Now, the, the naming culture is is just strange in the cloud, but when you burn it all down to what it actually is, it's a VM. And you know, what's an S3 bucket? And you're like, well, it's just storage. It's just it's just storage. You shouldn't use that anyway, but it's just storage. So I think that vendors and and the people that that, that are within cloud. Obviously, uh, went on about it earlier around there's a skill shortage, always been one. The cloud only exacerbates that because it makes a huge gap between what we currently have within end customers and, and within the channel. And actually, some tools can actually enable legacy skills to be used again. You know, if you go into uh, Dome 9 or some other products, it will essentially convert VPC flow logs all the way back to something that resembles a firewall table, which most people that have been in the business for 15, 20 years will understand that. Yep. So they can then apply their knowledge and everything they've built up over the years. And all of a sudden, once you start getting some confidence in the cloud, we can move forward and hopefully bring all of those people that have vast amounts of knowledge into the cloud era. Because otherwise, we're just going to have tons and tons of devs, uh, people building clouds and infrastructures without that core knowledge of security, not even cloud security, just that core knowledge of security, and we're just going to have uh, the wild west in the cloud, essentially. Yep. You know, I, I think that's spot on. One of the things that I've been saying for a couple of years now is the issues in the cloud are nuances. There's yeah. there's subtleties, right? And it's, as you've said, this nomenclature, these naming provisions that are all new and different. But if you really peel the skin off of it, it's something you're already very likely familiar with. However... And this is the key, however, if you consider a load balancer versus an ELB, they're the same, but they are different. And, yeah. and, and so the cautionary tale I have for my audiences is it's the nuances that are going to get you. So you should not walk in assuming I've used a load balancer for five years. So, oh, yeah, no problem. ELB will be no problem. Right. And I always jokingly bring up who remembers RTFM. That's read the fine manual. Uh, <laughs> you can replace fine for the word of choice. But this was a very common acronym years and years ago because, the, you know, hey, Sam, how do you do this? Hey, Sam, how do you do that? Read the manual. But it was with that superlative in there with an F. Uh, now we just assume we can. We go poke around and we go, oh, undo. Uh, escape, undo, right? We go try it. The problem there is, as you know, there are more than 200 controls in AWS have no undo. So it's the nuances that can get you. Uh, and, and I think that that's, uh, we're all trying to move so fast. How do you, yeah. how do you slow people down? How do you get them to see that? What do you recommend to your clients? Um, so. Again, uh, I don't think this just applies to the technology field or the IT channel or the IT security channel. I mean, if we look in society right now, you could probably apply this to a lot of things like social media, um, like that everyone's offended from the start and they need convincing that they're not offended. So um, I, I would say it's a cultural thing. 
for sure. Everyone wants to have the world without maybe doing the due diligence, the work, the hard sweat and tears. Um, I might sound old saying all of this, but it just seems that way anyway. No, I think you're exactly uh, right. It's it's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they jump into the cloud and start moving things into the cloud without any planning, without any yeah. architecture, without any preparation. And that really yeah. gets them in trouble. Yeah. If if you were to do the same in a, in a network to network basis, right, if you were going to move on-prem data centers from one data center geographically to another, there would be years of consulting. There would be um, huge amounts of documentation, huge amounts of process and change controls. But for some reason, people don't visualize it that way because it's just going to the cloud. And I do think that goes as high up as the, the people that sign off projects and, and, and purchase orders, um, there's kind of like this feeling, well, you know, if we get it wrong, we can just scrap it, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, again, it does lead to people thinking differently, people um, pushing the envelope, hopefully cool things coming out. But in, in a normal everyday task, you know, if you want to do a firewall rule change within a, a FTSE 100 company, you're going to have to make a change request. Yep. However, if you want to go and spin up, uh, you know, a thousand assets within the cloud, you need a company credit card and a company email address. And there you go. Yeah, there's you're, a you're problem away. there. huh? Yeah. So I, I think that Amazon's been around for long enough. Sure, it is growing a lot quicker than anything else has, has, has ever grown. Maybe a puff from, uh, you know, on-premise computing. But it just seems like because there's a lack of understanding, people are kind of bit wary to get involved just in case it's going to be a headache um i'm not sure how well that's going to play out it's very easy for me to say because it's a business i'm in but surely you're better off building a secure cloud now and not making the same mistake as you did on premise and then virtualize rather than making a cloud and then trying to secure it afterwards. Yeah, but exactly you know, right. it's in my favor to say that, of course. <laughs> sure. uh, <laughs> well, I think the single most important thing to do if you're going to move into the cloud is plan first, architect yep. first, have it all considered first before you go. I mean, and I believe, uh, and what I tell my uh, audiences, either go buy it or hire it if you don't already yeah. have it. And I'm talking that it is expertise like you have. So uh, let me ask, how has it been partnering with the security vendor community overall? I imagine you've established partnerships. I know you've worked with us for a yeah. while, but uh, how's that been and, and how's that going? How open are they to listening to your <laughs> recommendations? Uh, <laughs> so 50-50. Normally, you know, as, as I mentioned at the start, we, we, we normally go and find our vendors and we want to bring them to the UK shores. And they're normally at around Series A, maybe Series B funding. And more recently, what's happened is we're normally uh, starting relationships with vendors where maybe they've made an acquisition and they don't quite understand what actually that acquisition even is. Um, i.e. Uh, you've got a legacy vendor bought a cloud vendor to begin their cloud play themselves and they're going to require maybe a different partner different distributor sounds so familiar that, it, it, it does it, sound familiar and i've yeah, worked for a like, lot of hardware companies yeah you know we we, we had redlock before them um, we, we we changed and went to uh dome nine with, with checkpoints so um you know we, we're used to our vendors being acquired by the larger companies so um in in that basis when we're when we're brought in 
um, because, you know, they bought a, a vendor and, and maybe it's not one that they quite understand the market, then, yeah, they're normally quite receptive. Obviously, you still have the enterprise vendor legacy processes that might not be as quick as a startup vendor where you can call the, the co-founders and say, hey, I've got an idea. And they say, uh, give us 10 minutes. They come back and you're doing that idea. So that that kind of um, agility does does go a bit, if not quite a bit. But I would say that there is an issue with cloud vendors because you know that there's a lot of vendors that come to market so quickly and websites are very easy to make and promises are also very easy to make slideware and, is very easy to make right like we were talking about earlier yeah of course and you know that there is a certain you know one there's a certain gravitas and two there's a certain process to larger vendors it may slow things down in terms of releasing new features but when those features generally hit the customers, they're normally either a beta, um, uh, if not, um, you know, enterprise available at that stage. So, you, you know, you've got your differing kind of ways of going at it. Um, it's a bit of a compromise, I, I guess, right? As you get into course. these larger organizations, they have the associating product management and, and product marketing and all of the, yep. the resources to where... When they do iterate and come out with a new version, unless they're just totally daft, they'll hit the mark, at least with a few of the features, right? Yeah, of course. It goes for the same for, you know, the the sales and marketing aspects of those vendors. So, you know, we, we, we run a meetup community in, in London. It's called LDN Security Community. And, uh, you know, we've had vendors come along and we specifically say to them, do not come in a suit. If you come in a suit, no one will talk to you. They'll think you're a salesman and they won't talk to you. And they uh, they, they rock up in a suit and a shit or they'll – sorry, they'll rock up in a suit and then they'll <laughs> take the jacket off to make them look casual. Yeah. And lo and behold, no one talks to them because they know they're most likely an enterprise sales guy from a vendor. Ah, um, right. And, you know, is is normally meetups leak into personal time. Um, they just want to le- learn about some new technology, and if it's of interest to their day job, then yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get in contact maybe at the end or, or a few days later via the meetup console. So, and on the flip side of that, I've had and I won't name names because it wouldn't do my my, my career any good. But uh, you know, I, I've had some fantastic startup vendors that I've brought here and, and taken them into very very large organizations, and and actually that kind of stance doesn't go well in the enterprise, right? Right. Um, some enterprise companies still do wear suits to work, and actually, they don't want someone turning up in trainers and and a, a t-shirt that says Docker on it because you know they're still working in Canary Wharf. Or so I think you're seeing not just a, a, a combination of technologies happening at the minute; it's a combination of cultures and different generations. Yeah, interesting. And I think that both have a lot to offer. The the new generation, as always, you know, you go back to uh, the punk scene when it came to England. Yeah. The, the younger generations always have innovation. Um, they're always willing to try things um, with the risk that's associated. Whereas the older generation are a lot more methodical. They, you know, they know what they're 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 doing. They're very experienced, but maybe they don't want to try the new things, um, or maybe they're scared of change. So I'm sure over the next couple of years, hopefully sooner than that, that hopefully we can combine both of those methods because I do think both of them are slightly out of control. There is probably it, it sounds a bit of a damp squib, but there's probably too much innovation at the risk of, you know, security compliance, actually checking whether that innovation is actually making anyone money right. um, versus, you know, that there's probably some people saying, well, you know what, 
I'm going to be done in five years, so I'm not even going to bother looking at the cloud because it's not going to affect me. Right, so, right, um, right. Interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. So, so let me ask a question because we've talked about a lot of interesting subjects around vendors and around customers and around messaging. And we've seen this time and time again, right, Sam? Uh, virtualization, yeah. every vendor had the, the same messaging about their support for VMware. And social networking uh, exploded and every vendor had uh, the ability to put security and controls in social networking. Uh, and, you know, now we're in cloud and certainly every vendor's got some cloud play. So my question is from someone that does sit in the middle and get to yeah. actually mediate, if you will, between what the vendor says, you know, I filter it, decipher it, and then communicate the truth. What, I guess, three things or what top things would you advocate to vendors that are cloud security vendors to yeah. help them fail fast to more effectively deliver their solutions to the market through key partners like you. What would you recommend? But before you answer, I got to pay the bills. So hang on one second and we're going to hear your thoughts. How well are you protected in the cloud? How fast do you move when the cloud moves at the speed of DevOps? And do you have the confidence you see everything you need to see, good or bad? Checkpoint Software. Cloud with confidence. See it. Control it. Secure it. Okay, we're back. So, Sam, what do you recommend to those cloud security vendors, security vendors trying to get into the cloud? What do you recommend they really concentrate on or focus on to be more successful with partners like you? Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll take this uh, with three things, and I'll, I'll just tell you what the three things are, just so that you can remind me if I forget. So uh, the, the first one is the partner landscape and programs. Um, the second one is collaboration of teams. And then the third one is um, – I'll keep the third one to myself for now. Um, so uh, the, the first one in terms of partner landscape and, and programs – a lot of vendors come to us and they want to break into cloud-specific partners because those customers are the ones that are deploying these infrastructures for, for, the, for, the, for the customers. However, they come with the, the old approach of we're going to do a channel program. You're going to have to do two people uh, signed up uh, for sales training and tech training to be silver. And then you have to do a revenue goal for gold, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a couple of reasons why it doesn't work. Normally, the companies that are actually in implementing the AWS infrastructure and uh, customers, they're normally consultants rather than resellers. So actually, all of those things are probably inhibitive to what they're trying to do. They'll, they'll, they'll just try and find a product that they can just go and download, implement in the customer, show the customer that it's working. And, and then they're more than happy most of the time not to actually transact those licenses, but just to do the PS around those. You know, there's, there's companies like Contino out there that, that, that just only sell professional services around AWS. Moreover, if I can just interject and ask... In the mm -hmm. world of using the phrase cloud native, okay, why do I need a channel program? I need somebody yeah. to help me get the right choices, the right products. But if those products are all fully supporting the cloud, I can go to the marketplace and get them. 
Yeah, of course. Look, the marketplace is there. It's very untested and an unused thing right now. There's many arguments for, uh, you know, you can get an early uh, enterprise discount structure in place. You can normally get that with most uh, uh, reseller partners if you're, you're spending a certain amount of money. It's an easy way to transact. I know quite a lot of resellers that actually have procurement portals for their customers. So, again, there's two arguments there. The the part that the uh, the marketplace is missing, which is essentially what the channel adds to most deals, is value. How does the end user go about selecting those products that they want to buy? Um, are they going to go out to 10 different vendors, do 10 different demos, 10 different POCs, have to communicate with those 10 different vendors, then have a bidding war of, of choosing one and, and, and selecting one, and, and then eventually buying it on AWS because it might affect their AWS bill or they can get monthly billing. So I, I would say that if people are looking at the AWS marketplace as something that is going to do a better job for them than what they're currently getting from their channel partners, they probably just don't have the right channel partners for the project that they're running. Mm-hmm. If they're running a cloud project and they're speaking to someone that's selling them um, Dell servers, you're probably speaking to the wrong person because there's incredible partners out there on the AWS partner program. There's incredible partners out there on the Azure partner program as well as the GCP where, yeah, there are some companies out there, name drop a couple, Computer Center, SoftCat Bytes, where, yeah, they have sold legacy vendors and legacy technologies, but they've changed with the times also. Mm -hmm. So they do have separate divisions within those companies that handle cloud, that will handle storage, and they'll handle networking. So it might be that actually end customers just need to decide on a partner that can deliver them value on a certain part of their IT journey or or, or project, right? You're not going to give a digital transformation project to someone that sold your routers for the last 10 years. Right, right. Are there any recommendations? you have on that model of you know silver bronze gold partner program what do you suggest as opposed to the old way of looking at trying to incent the partners right yeah of course i I would say it still works once the businesses once that technology space and that vendor you know if we take one of the vendors that isn't isn't a legacy vendor that's bought a cloud vendor you know there is no point having tiering if you're only doing a million pounds worth of business within the uk Right. You you know you need to put a value on what someone has done within that deal. If if you if you as a company have no salespeople within the UK and the channel has generated that interest and generated that sale, then you need to pay according to what you put a value on it. That could be ten percent. It could be twenty five percent. It could be sixty percent because you haven't had to employ a salesman in country. Right. The, the interesting thing about the cloud is that really we're trying not to work with multiple customers on the same deal because the cloud isn't commoditized yet. We want to work with the person that is doing the cloud infrastructure. They do cloud consultancy. They may be included in the CICD pipeline for whatever reason, because then it doesn't matter if it's 5% or 30%. At least you're working with the correct partner that knows the customer. And actually, those deals are going to close a lot quicker then if you have a partner program and you're going to go out to 10 resellers that say they all sell to this customer, but actually they don't sell cloud security or cloud infrastructure, that has no value back to the vendor. Right. So you can still have a tiering program. There's there's cloud security vendors out there that that, that are doing tens of millions within, within the UK. So it does apply to those because you have to have some form of um, order within a zoo. Yep. Um, but a lot of cloud vendors aren't at that stage. And they kind of just bring out these partner programs because 
they look at maybe VMware and they think, oh, when VMware launched, or now VMware have a partner program, so we need to make sure we have one of those. Right. But it's not applicable to most of the businesses that are running within within the UK cloud business. If you look at Azure, they don't have a partner program, really. You, it is all dictated by spend. Mm-hmm. And you will get a certain discount because of that spend. It doesn't say there's gold, silver, bronze. There are levels, but it's normally to do with revenue, revenue goals. Yeah, interesting. It's timing, right? I mean, like we were talking about earlier, maybe yeah. a program with its kind of stratification might be appropriate if you are doing a hundred million pounds or or what yeah. what not, but maybe not now. Okay, so that's one. Yeah. Number two. Uh, so- yeah, so the second one's collaboration. So a, a huge issue within within end customers is the cloud has created a huge culture clash. We've kind of gone over it a bit. You've got the, the devs who are the new rock stars of companies developing applications. You've got security who are the guys with a pitchfork saying, no, you can't do that until I've told you can and, and you're in compliance. And then you've got operations who used to manage all of this kit being ordered and all of this software being ordered and making sure change requests have been done. And all of a sudden, their job is just i don't know if their job is there anymore so it's checking boxes on a on a dialogue box right and then saying okay exactly so i think that we need to have tools that make secure devops a thing rather than dev versus sec versus ops because again you know just as if you have an argument with your wife and you really want to go and play golf and she said no you'll probably try and find a way to go and play golf Unless she's super scary, I've got to run uh, to the. I've got to run to the store. It's going to take yeah. me about four and a half hours. Co- correct, <laughs> correct. <It's> a, it, <laughs> but devs are the same thing. If you're going to alienate people, then they're going to find their way around stuff. And security. If you're going to say that security don't need to be involved in 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 the the dev CI CD pipeline and use all of that knowledge out of security, then of course you're going to get their backup. And more than likely, they're going to put their fork in the middle of the road more times than not and say, no, you're not deploying that. It's not secure. So I think the vendors need to appreciate that there's more people involved in security now than there were before. And they all are getting paid to do different things. Devs to release good code, uh, fast code anyway, um, security to do their normal job. And, and, and operations are just trying to get a handle on all this madness. So we need to be able to get those teams to collaborate rather than just try and find ways to uh, get around each other. Bring them together as opposed to continue to alienate. Sounds like American politics. <laughs> uh, I, won't, I won't comment on that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three. Yeah, yeah so, so number three, I would say while we have the opportunity uh, with, with all of these API calls, I really do think that the amount of work that different vendors do with each other really should be increased. Um, again, as, as I mentioned, you know, we've got a huge cyber skills gap. We've got huge, vast amounts of vendors trying to sell to not huge growing pool of customers. It's normally the same customers everyone wants to speak to. And I see huge, huge amounts of time wasted within end customers where Products won't speak to each other because, I don't know, Cisco don't want to work with Juniper or Fortinet and Palo Alto don't want to have an API call go to each other because, uh, you know, we're competitors. But, you know, if if you're going to be in security and, you know, you're going to want to secure uh, critical national infrastructure, banks, you know, the, the, the infrastructure of a country, 
then you need to be prepared to put down you know just revenue and work with your competition to make sure that customers who don't have the biggest security budgets in the world no one does right now um that you know they can get more value and automation out of tools regardless of whether they compete with one another mm-hmm. um and i think that would help a lot of people with um you know this the recently you know more platforms have had to come out like saw tools to be able to make this stuff possible because Palo Alto won't work with Fortinet or vice versa, where if there was just a bit more collaboration, and it doesn't even have to be collaboration in a, in a, in a nice jovial way. It could just be, look, here's our API. You can, you can uh, send your notifications to us. Then I think it would make it a lot easier for end users. Yeah, I completely agree. Although this might be before your time. In fact, I'm sure it is, Sam. Years ago, Checkpoint had what was called... OPSEC, Open Platform for Security. And we're talking late 90s, early 2000s. And they had several hundred partners. And it's all of the vendors uh, that you would imagine that uh, the way I described it, Checkpoint was the Christmas tree. And all of these vendors were the bulbs and tinsel and lights and everything you could put on that tree. Well, what I find fascinating, but I think is really true is there's a new Christmas tree and it's not Checkpoint or Palo Alto or Fortinet or any other vendor. It's Amazon, AWS, it's Azure, and it's Google. And everybody else is just small little saplings. Those are the three big towering trees. And I guess my point is, if there's an intersection, it seems, where we're going to unify two disparate vendors, a la you know, the two you mentioned or two others that don't talk to each other. I'm wondering if that's going to be the point at where we're going to have unification, where I may not have APIs that share with Fortinet, but I can use APIs that are available from a cloud vendor. And if Fortinet uses those same APIs, there might be some interoperability above us, right? I, I mean, I think that possibility is there, but I think the likelihood of near Zook saying, hey, yeah, let's build some work with checkpoint APIs is uh, it's like slim to none. We're ever going to see that from from Palo Alto. But I do believe our, our self checkpoint, we are building out more and more and more APIs all the time. That's the new world. That's where yep. everything is going. Yeah, my only comment there would be if, if you have to abide by certain compliances, so you need to have a dual skin firewall approach. But those two firewalls can't interoperate, or you know, for what for whatever reason. Right. Um, and in the case of say Symantec, now that Symantec's customers have gone from a unified approach within Symantec to either they have to rotate a whole load of Symantec solutions, so they're either going to have to choose one vendor that hopefully has all of those things. Or they're going to have to go with with multiple vendors, mm-hmm. and and we're talking about some of the largest banks in the world. It doesn't do anyone any good, uh, you know, not being able to get those customers a solution quickly because they they you know they didn't sign up to uh, Broadcom yeah. buying Symantec. Yeah. Well, Sam, this has been terrific. I really enjoyed talking with you. I want to thank you very very much for uh, spending so much time with me today. Thanks, Grant. We'll be talking to you again soon, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all very, very much for joining me on another episode of Talking Cloud. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope uh, you'll come back again and again and again. And thanks very much.